Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Gurus with Dr. Dan, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges in the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfish, conned, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationships can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, troubled finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are experts in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our official website is metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have for our fifth episode of season three, a very special guest and relationship coach, Carissa Stepp. And just like my previous episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Carissa, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, My name is Carissa Stepp. I am a relationship coach. I help women reconnect back to themselves so that they can make big decisions in their lives that are aligned with their true purpose and so that they can find and reclaim their joy. Beautiful. Thank you very much for being a part of the, this podcast, uh, Carissa. So um, why only women? Why do you feel that uh, it's easier to work with them versus men? Or have you tried also to cater to these genders? Um, traditionally it's just, I've had more women reach out for help. I think that women oftentimes after having a bad relationship or going through a divorce, typically are more willing to seek help, um, to just basically heal and, and to work through, you know, the trauma and the pain of their previous relationships that they don't repeat it going forward. Uh, men sometimes are get more distracted. They tend to dive more into their career, into their work. And women kind of look at themselves and say, hey, okay, what's going on here? How do I heal so that I can actually move forward and find happiness? Beautiful. So what do you feel in the when women come and uh, talk to you about uh, whatever struggles they're going through in their love life? What is the most common denominator that you see now in terms of um, how do I fix this in my relationship? How do I not fall for the same type of people and so on and so forth? So it's a good question. I think that oftentimes people initially try to blame their previous partner for all the reasons why the relationship ended. And what I try to do is help lead people back to themselves, because I think that a lot of times women tend to be the nurturers. They tend to be the overgivers in relationships. And so what happens at times is they tend to lose themselves in the relationship. And they need to find their way back to being whole and complete as they are and not be seeking the happiness outside of themselves or blaming someone else for not making them happy. So I really do a lot of work with bringing people back to their authenticity. Um, I think that the most important relationship that you have is honestly the one you have with yourself. And so I really help women kind of strengthen their relationship with themselves so that they know what they need, what they want. They know how to set clear boundaries and relationships to honor that and to honor their own self-worth and find their value and have a partner that will actually respect and honor that value within them. So that's kind of my whole goal. And oftentimes I find a lot of 
women come to me and they don't have a good sense of their self-worth and they do question their lovability after a bad breakup. And so I like to guide and lead them back to that, to finding that within themselves. But do you feel that those who have gone through, especially when we, uh, we look at toxic relationship with either narcissistic people or uh, those who have been dealing with mental illnesses and they have never really addressed it or get the, the help that they need, um, do you feel that this in itself have caused so much strife to that woman that they just want to basically wean themselves off of dating and feel that maybe there's no one out there that they can meet? That, it, that meets their requirements, their values, their whatever else comes into the equation. So how do you reintroduce them into having an open mind that whatever happened in the past is not really a good indicator to what's going to happen in the present? The way we get around that is I show them that they need to experience and have their own growth so that they attract a different type of partner going forward. Because what happens is sometimes we attract partners that we get wrapped into these like codependent relationships. And oftentimes it's a type of dynamic that we may be familiar with from say, maybe our upbringing with our own parents or previous relationships or how we were conditioned to believe that, you know, we had to overcompensate for someone else's misgivings or that we had to sacrifice our own needs for somebody else, because that's our role as moms or as wives or as women, right. That we have to over nurture. And so, you know, again, it's like giving them that hope that once they heal themselves and once they come back to this place of understanding that they're safe to have boundaries, because oftentimes I think in codependent relationships and narcissistic, you know, when you have a narcissistic partner that you're with, um, you're not really good at setting those boundaries and they see that and they kind of like, it's almost like you become a target. Yes. So it's making them understand and realize that once you change that dynamic and you step out there courageously and confidently as yourself, you're going to attract someone who aligns with that as opposed to someone you've been attracting in the past. So it's really about breaking the patterns so that you don't repeat them. I see. Now, um, when it comes to like, especially those who are um, either in their career or their uh, personal life and so on and so forth. And now we see more and more women becoming very professionals. Uh, they actually are probably the ones making more money there than in their relationship. Does that cause any sense of um, like high ego or type A personality in a woman? And then she feels that she is in control and she's the one wearing the pants in the family. So do you feel that also causes a lot of strife in their relationship at this point? Um, it can, if they're with somebody who feels threatened by that, right? Or if their partner feels like they have to compete with their high earning spouse or the woman in their life. I mean, yes, it absolutely causes, it can cause an unhealthy dynamic for sure. Because then what happens is the man feels like they have to try and overpower mm -hmm. and they need to kind of, um, you know, try even harder to, to, to get back the seat, you know, <laughs> the yeah. pants in the relationship. <laughs> uh -huh. And so, yes, it can definitely cause a very um, interesting dynamic. And there are probably, you know, healthy ways of navigating that. But if you've never experienced it before, or you're not really sure, or again, you might be a high, high earning woman. Um, and you might be in a, you know, very senior level position in your job, However, you know, you still might struggle a little bit with that self-worth piece, right? And so maybe you are giving up your value or you are self-abandoning in that relationship to keep the peace, 
right? Because a lot of us tend to be people pleasers. And so we don't want to up rock the boat. We don't want to emasculate our partners in any way. So we tiptoe around them or we back down when we really should be, again, setting that boundary and demanding the respect that we deserve. That is so true. And also I have had some, um, like a past episode with some of my guests that are also in the field of psychology and mental illness and all. And they said that some women who are the CEO or a high authority, like a physician, when they are at work, they want to only be this person at work. But at home, sometimes they're very uh, domestic. They're very nurturing. They, they want to be able to leave that, let's say, position to the men in the family. So, but in other cases, what is representing at work, she brings it back at home. So the thing is, is that she's still very dominant at home. Um, so do you feel that this is something of a little bit of the truth in both case scenario? Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I talk to my clients about, because I feel like a lot of times when we enter into relationships, we start making these unconscious agreements about what our roles are in the relationship. So one of the key things that we work on when I'm working with a client is working on our communication, right? And making sure that we're having these conversations so that everybody is on the same page. You know, this is what you know, my, I see my role as this is how I see your role. What are your expectations of my role and what I play, you know, who I play in this relationship and kind of really working that out. Because I think that when you have these unspoken agreements or these unconscious agreements in place, and, you know, the other person has no idea that you don't want to be, you know, the CEO of the family at home, but you want to be the CEO at work, you know, that's going to definitely cause some tension. And if you're not talking about it, what happens is you start building resentment and bitterness. And that right there is going to be the poison to any kind of intimacy between you and your partner. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that communication and that you, you actually have these very important conversations relatively early on in a relationship, especially if you're obviously, you know, if you're getting married or if you are married to understand what you expect, you know, of your partner and what your partner expects of you. And then, you know, managing those expectations so that nobody becomes disappointed or bitter. But then again, uh, as you know, when in the beginning of relationship, it's always like the honeymoon stage where everyone love each other, they date, they do whatever it is. But then when it comes to deciding if this is going to be a long-term relationship, situation after they get engaged or after they get married comes into place. You have the kids, you have the responsibility for a mortgage, bills, etc. The dynamic changes completely, which means that now what was what they discussed originally is no longer necessarily <clears throat> applicable in today's situation. So do they have to constantly have the same talk over and over again? And once circumstances do change, they have to readdress it as they go along. Yep. I think checking in is definitely important. So if something happens and you feel like, you know, your partner's getting upset with you because you're not doing something that they expected you to, like, that's the time to sit down and have the conversation. It's not sweep it under the rug, yes. get distracted with life and busyness and just letting it go. Because again, that's going to build the resentment. So, you know, I'm not going to say that you should have scheduled check-ins because life doesn't really work like that. But I absolutely believe that, you know, making sure that you're able to communicate and you don't fear your partner's response when you do bring up something that maybe is disappointing you or is upsetting you, maybe that they're doing or that they're not doing and vice versa. If you can both, you know, be committed to growing together and having these conversations at a, you know, a deeper level, I think that that's the most important thing. 
And when it comes to, um, especially when we see like now more and more women uh, in, the, in the fear of like, especially online dating, uh, Carissa, do you see that um, with the, the way that people interact, especially after this past two years where everyone was in isolation because of the pandemic and all, and our social skills really atrophied we don't know how to interact anymore. Do you think that uh, the women who comes to you, they just kind of complain about how, how, can, how can men think this way? How can they be so blunt? How can they be just uh, sending me picture of their private parts when I really never asked for it? And then that really basically takes a woman completely out of her element. And especially those women who just got divorced, they've been married for 20 some years. And the dating scene 20 years ago is completely different than what it is now. So how to send them back into the dating market? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I don't know that I have an easy or simple solution for that. And it would be case by case. Um, but, you know, I guess we could just say that maybe perhaps male communication has become even more primitive than it was before. <laughs> Um, but not to give up hope because there is, you know, room for growth for everybody. And so, you know, perhaps it's, it's, if you are taking the high road and if you are over communicating, I would hope that if you're with the right person, they're going to rise to the occasion and they're going to try to meet, they will meet you there in some way. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to get into quantum physics, but there is something called, you know, entrainment, which when you have something that's vibrating at a very high frequency and it's next to something that's vibrating at a lower frequency, when they're put in close enough contact to each other or near each other, what happens is, is they actually start vibrating at the same level. And so that lower frequency sort of rises to meet the higher frequency and then they, they get in sync. And so ultimately like that is what I would hope, right? If you're with the right person and they are open to growing and to evolving as well, they're going to try to meet you at that level. If it's someone that again is worth your time and somebody who's actually interested enough in you, right? I mean, if, if he's sending you, you know, certain messages that aren't in alignment with how you're feeling for this person, like if you feel more strongly than they do, cause, and they're just sending you like these pictures of their private parts, or they're just being very sexual and you just are trying to emotionally connect, then obviously that's a disconnect right there. And it's a red flag and good that you're noticing it, right? Because maybe you wouldn't have noticed it when you were in your twenties and you might've just been like, Oh, this is just fun. No big deal. But now you're older and you're wiser and you know, I'm not going to waste my time on that person and I'm going to move forward and there's going to be somebody else. And it's hard, right? That you, if you keep having these experiences yes. to still yes. maintain the hope, but the thing is, is I, I like to say, it's like, you know, it's kind of like what they say with like sales and marketing, right? Every no gets you closer to a yes. So every frog that you kiss is going to get you closer to your prince. And that's just part of the experience. You learn something every time. And so don't lose hope because, you know, at the end of the day, like you're going to find somebody and it's going to be somebody that's going to be more in alignment with who you are when you do the healing work you need to do on yourself first. So that is like absolutely true. And also when you look at, um, especially at women or even men, I mean, now men are becoming more and more sensitive um, where it comes to the feeling of abandonment or isolation or not being liked and so on and so forth. So that puts people into position that this may be the right one. So if I don't really abide by their wishes, I may lose them. And then I have to restart this whole cycle of dating all over again. And it just never ends because uh, yeah, even though we many bounce from one person to the to the other, they do serial dating, which in, in a way it's important because you need to meet a lot of people, a lot of frogs until you find your prince. So that in itself is really beneficial. But then all through the time that you go through frogs, you get hurt, you get damaged, 
And that damage has, a I mean, it has a long-term repercussion on your emotional state of mind in which this in return does not make you prone to be a good dating person. I mean, people will always say, man, this person has a lot of baggage and it's true. So it, it works both ways, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. So even though we see this, do you still encourage people to be able to meet as many as possible? Yes, but I also believe that you have to do the healing work alongside it, right? So that you're not taking the trauma and the baggage with you from relationship to relationship to relationship. And that's why when I work with clients, as I mentioned, I have them work on themselves first, right? The first piece is like, we're going to work on you. And then we're going to start focusing on how you relate to others. And it's really, really important that you're able to first of all, rewrite your self-limiting beliefs because that's going to hold you back. Right. So if you sit here thinking like, I'm going to lose this guy, if I don't, you know, meet his expectations or I don't respond the way he's anticipating, or I'm not dressed sexy enough on my dates with him or whatever it might be, or do the activities that he wants to do, then you're coming from a place of really low self-worth because you want somebody to like you for you. And you want to be able to be you and not somebody else. It takes more energy to be something you're not than it does to be yourself. And so it's super, super important. Again, like healing that self-worth piece and your sense of lovability that you were lovable because you are who you are and for no other reason. And someone's going to, you're going to find somebody who actually feels the same way. I love you because you are you and not because you're somebody else and not because you're being someone I want you to be. Yes. And so that's why it's so important that as you go through these bad relationships, like if you're working with a, whether it's a therapist or a coach or whatever, to help you heal all of that trauma. And again, rewrite those self-limiting beliefs, because those are deep and those don't even come necessarily from your previous relationships. Some of that comes from your conditioning and your upbringing. So it goes way back. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that, you know, you heal that. And so that's another aspect of my process with clients is we do the deep healing. We rewire the neural pathways so that when we see that red flag, we're not running towards it, right? Because we've had this trauma in the past that makes us run towards it when we're comfortable with the, the repeat that, that like you like to be triggered or you need that trauma for whatever reason, because you think that trauma keeps you closer. It bonds you to somebody else. We need to break those trauma bonds so that we can have healthy relationships. And so when we see the red flag, we know to run the other way. Yes, we awaken quickly. But then if you look at um, people who have dealt with uh, traumatic childhood experiences and they've been carrying this trauma for so many years, it's not as easy to just kind of help them snap out of it. I mean, this is like a very, very severe, deep recondition of their, their mental belief, their limiting belief and everything that follows. So uh, how long, like, for example, if someone is like in her mid thirties, and she has like, um, she has had like really bad uh, relationship with her family, with her parents. And she always feel that the, the, the man that she's going to meet is going to be someone like her father, either very physical abusive, emotionally abusive and all. It's not really, I mean, you can go as far as what you can remember when you were young, but there's a lot of things that follows and it stays into the subconscious mind. And then it pops up when there's certain triggers that recollects that information, that recollects that memory that was buried because of self-protection. The amygdala, this is what it does. It just tries to protect you, try to be able to make you make the right decision and to be able to take you away from danger. So how do you go around that? How do you kind of like recondition them this way? 
a great question. And of course, there's, like you said, there's no easy fix. It's not a snap of the fingers and it happens. Um, I personally, in my practice, use emotional freedom techniques, which is tapping. And so we don't even have to remember exactly what happened. All we have to know is how we felt and we can work with the emotion of it. We don't even have to talk about it in detail if you do remember, because it's too traumatizing and it's too upsetting for you to even talk it out. But we can just talk about, you know, how this woman may have been feeling in the moment and, you know, the fear that was associated with it, you know, the anger that came after we talk through all of the emotions and we tap on all of it. And it may take obviously more than one round. It's going to take, you know, sessions to probably work through the many, many layers to get there, but we can actually safely release it. Mm -hmm. And we do it in a very gentle way by using EFT or tapping. I know you use EFT, but in a different form. Emotionally focused therapy. Do you have like, I know there's like around nine pressure points, like on top of the head, mm-hmm. the yeah. chakra, like uh, in the middle of the, the, the nose and then the upper uh, or below the nose, the, the like uh, chin and like different places. So is it like every time that they feel the trigger, they feel the tension, this is when they have to kick in and says, and do they have to kind of change the way they perceive that danger? Like, I mean, you know, people who deal with cognitive dissonance, for example, dissonance in itself is called tension. So it's like reducing the cognitive tension in your mind, but they create some kind of alternative belief that they know this is not something that they should go for, but they just try to find some kind of excuses around it. So how do you go into this uh, emotional uh, freedom technique, right? Um, Do you tell them to focus more on the alternative of the danger that they face? or to just be aware of the danger that they're in. So, I mean, when we're, while we're tapping through the sequence, I'm actually repeating back to them kind of what they're feeling, right? So they're repeating after me a setup phrase. So there's definitely like an arc to the session. So we will actually just literally focus on how they're feeling. And each time we finish one round, I'll ask, what came up? How are you feeling? What's going on in your body right now? Did a memory pop up? You know, do you feel a lump in your throat? And so we tap on the various things of whatever comes up. And then we kind of move through the arc of the session. And when we end the session towards the end, we do try to instill a new belief that will override the one that was previous. And of course, like there is time for integration after that too. And so it does take a while. And as you mentioned, if there's a secondary gain for holding on to a certain belief very strongly, then it's going to take a while to kind of break that down a little bit to understand that you are safe to release that. It no longer needs to be held to keep you safe. Um, so there's definitely you know, an arc to the, the, the progression of the session. And then obviously each session we would kind of, you know, if we have to keep working on it, we will keep working on it. But we always leave the client in a good place so that they don't feel still triggered at the end of it. And they don't still feel you know, a very strong emotional attachment to whatever it is that we're tapping on. So the point is really to get to this like peaceful non-attachment to the memory, to the trigger, to whatever it is. So that going forward, they don't have that same kind of you know, heightened response to it, that stress response to the trigger or whatever. So um, it's definitely a process. And again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that clients can also do on their own when they're not with me in a session, right? They can actually tap if they are starting to feel anxious or they're starting to feel triggered on something. They can just start tapping themselves. And even if they don't know what to say, anything you say, it doesn't matter. It's just getting it out and just tapping along the, the nine acupressure points. And it'll help them actually um, lower their cortisol levels, which is pretty amazing. Now, um, I know that a lot of people, like especially it is human condition to always 
kind of said, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel miserable. And the only thing that the mind thinks is the last two words. So the I don't becomes I do. So in the EFT method that you use, you say, I want to feel better. I want to feel that, or do you, you basically, not even say, that. I don't want this as well. It's not even that. It's more of like, even though in the past I've been really triggered by state, the behavior, state, the comment, state, whatever it might be, you know, I now know, like if this would be the end of the session, I now know that it's safe to have conversations about my feelings or whatever it might be. Okay. So there, you don't even say like, I don't believe, or I don't feel it's more of like, you're like, even though in the past I have felt X, Y, and Z, or I haven't felt safe in my body. Okay. Right. And so you kind of would tap along with that. And then you do reminder phrases as you go through the rest of the points. So it's not even like, you don't say the, I don't or anything, because you're right. Like whatever you do, focus your attention on grows <laughs> and whatever you resist persists. So, <laughs> so there's definitely an element of, you know, again, just like it's, it's literally talking about how you're feeling, not saying what you don't want to feel. It's just, this is how I feel. I see. And do, do you promote also meditation in your practice, Carissa? Or is it something that is mostly the EFT method that you use? Yes. No, I absolutely, absolutely encourage people to have some sort of um, grounding practice. If, it, you know, if they're more spiritual, a spiritual practice for sure. Um, it helps people stay very grounded and calm so that when they are confronted with situations where they are feeling triggered, they know how to bring themselves back out of their heads, right? Where all the fear and doubt comes and the anxiety and everything like that, bring them back into their bodies and into their hearts, right? So that they can actually respond <laughs> instead of just reacting and getting themselves into like a dysregulated state. I see. Now, if let's say you would give uh, the five uh, most important tips to all of our listeners in, the, in this podcast, about what would be your step-by-step, um, -step, if you would consider that five steps to be able to find themselves into a much healthier relationship. Let's say if we see a lot of people struggle with their relationship, what would you encourage them to be able to follow? I think that's a great question and five steps. Okay, so I would say, um, Self-awareness and self-discovery are super, super important. So make sure that you're looking at your own patterns of behavior so that you can understand your accountability in your past relationships for why things have happened, right? We don't ever want to step and sit in victimhood because then we just get stuck there and it's really hard to get out. Um, I would say, you know, work with a therapist or a coach to really help you draw these connections because sometimes when things are at the tip of your nose, you can't see it so clearly. It's very fuzzy. It gets very cloudy. So having someone that can have an outside perspective and a bigger picture view of what's going on and can pull those threads and make the connections is super, super important. The other thing is, again, you know, I would definitely say, um, you know, doing this healing work, doing this deep healing work and being ready to do it. No one can do it for you. You need to be willing, open-minded, open-hearted, roll up your sleeves and get ready to dive deep into the shadows so that you can emerge out into the light grounding is important. I think that having a spiritual practice and having faith really, really helps us because if we're going to do the deep healing work to release all the fear, then what happens is we need to then rely on faith to get rid of the residual fear that's still left. So we can trust the universe. We can trust something bigger than ourselves to bring us through and to be able to find our peace and our joy. And the last thing is, I would just say, live in the present moment, right? And stop Absolutely. focusing on the past, yes. right? Stop yes. looking at the past, stop focusing so much on the future, be present, be in the moment. And enjoy. So how can how can our listeners find you? 
You can find me on my website very easily. It's carissastep.com. That's with two P's at the end. You can also find me on Instagram at carissastep. Beautiful. Well, Carissa, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us and sharing your extensive knowledge in the field of dating and relationship. Now, the many recommendations you shared out to our, to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm also very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season three of the Love and Dating Guru with Dr. Ben podcast filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listened to today. My name is Dr. Dan Emzeleg, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.